Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. All right, now today's episode, we're in the third inning of the second game, and we're going to make a little trip outside of the high school ranks um, to a guy that needs no introduction, head baseball coach at UWM, Scott Duffick. Now, Scotty is a Wisconsin kid, as you're going to hear, um, Arrowhead graduate, WCTC junior college, years in professional baseball, and then really gets into the early days of UWM baseball, um, a little bit of a brief history, and where they are today. Now, what we really get into in this episode is some more baseball specific. So practice planning, player development, um, managing coaches, recruiting, you know, a lot of tips for the uh, high school player, the high school coach, um, things that he's seen over the years, and just a fantastic episode that could have went on for hours. Um, I had a little technical difficulty in the middle, so, so you'll see a little glitch, but um, Scotty was great in, in allowing it to, to roll and, and, and work through some of those um, difficulties. Before we get started, just reminded to subscribe and share um, on social media, you know, send on your group text and share with anyone else who you thought may be interested in these episodes. I'm really excited about today's guest, a guy, a guy that needs no introduction, head baseball coach at UWM, Scott Duffick. Coach, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for agreeing to be on. I'm really glad to have you, and I know our listeners will be as well. So before we get into, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of your program and the baseball side, just can you tell us more about your background? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you play? And kind of your journey in coaching. Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up in Milwaukee um, and then moved out to the Heartland area when I was in third grade. I ended up going to Heartland Arrowhead, um, played for Coach Tim O'Driscoll there, and obviously got the great Arrowhead education. And uh, coming out of there, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and I ended up going to play at Waukesha County Technical College, which I know doesn't sound great, but at the time, um, we really had some good players. In fact, we was uh, a guy a couple years before me played 10 years in the big leagues. And then a guy after me and myself, we both drafted and moved on. Um, it was a great experience. I literally would not trade it for anything. My, my best friends in, at the time then and are still my best friends now. And I loved every second of it. And then I was uh, fortunate enough to get an opportunity to go play professionally with, with Los Angeles, the Dodgers. And, uh, and the Pirates for a half a year and did that for the best, better part of six years. Um, and uh, came out of there and really wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. I, I know I needed to, to finish school and um, ended up just helping out here for one fall. And um, six months later, ended up becoming a full-time position. And we, myself and Coach Augustine, Jerry Augustine, kind of started the program from the ground up. And uh, when I say from the ground up, I mean from the ground up. Like, I think we were, my high school team was better for sure than my okay. college team when I first showed up here. So I knew it was going to be a hell of a challenge, but we were going to get better fast. <laughs> and we did. And, um, and really, I've been kind of getting after it ever since. That was 19, the fall of 94. And uh, it's, it certainly has been an incredible journey getting to this point, just seeing the growth of of the program in so many ways um, and really just the game of baseball in Wisconsin itself has been really incredible to see. And it's been fun to just to be a part of it. 
So we're talking 94 up to 2021, you know, you've been there the whole time, obviously different roles and you've been the head guy for how many years now? This, this season will be how many years? 13 or 14 or something like that. Okay. So where's the program at today? Like give us the flyover view of, of, of Panther baseball today. Well, it's a really exciting time, you know, moving into the new facility um, in Franklin. Um, if you haven't been there, for anybody that's listening, state-of-the-art facility, it's going to be as good as anybody has anywhere in the Midwest. Um, both indoor, outdoor, locker room amenities, fully turfed, you know, seats about 5,000, uh, skybox. It's just a beautiful setup. Um, and so, you know, that's been the, the one trying piece of working here is trying to run a Division One program with substandard facilities and resources. And you know, as much as we want to say, you know, a baseball field is a baseball field. And, and I do agree with that. Uh, at the end of the day, when you show up to compete, I, I think that is the case. But there's so many things on the backside, you know, that, that create energy and, you know, um, excitement around your program. And a lot of it does have to do with your facility and, you know, your ability to attract, uh, retain and recruit really quality student athletes. And so um, this will be the first spring officially that will be in there. We've been there a couple of falls now. And with last spring being shut down, um, certainly we were disappointed. We wanted to open that thing up, but um, you know we're really excited about just getting the opportunity to to grow as a program and and you know take the next step. I think you know we've been super competitive, um, but um, there's another level, and and that's 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 what motivates me every morning. So all those years, you know where you're at now, exciting time. Obviously, some success in the past, like. Is there any pillars of your program or anything that have remained consistent internally that you've just dug in on and just kept building from there as, as new players come through? Sure. Well, I think first and foremost, you know, I, I think it's important that you have um, a, a staff that your players can trust. And, you know, you, you, you have people that are going to be around these young men that are, are people of integrity, um, you know, and, and somebody that's willing to do, the right thing for the good of the group rather than for their own benefit. And I think that's been important to myself since I started here, you know, 26, 27 years ago and, and making sure that we surround these guys with, with those type of people. And we're not a program that has guys transferring in and out. Um, you know, there's no deception here. We're going to get after it. We're going to work really hard. We're going to be a family atmosphere, team first atmosphere. You know, and at, at the end of the day, our, our number one mission really is to is to take uh, 17, 18, 19-year-old boys and, and, you know, turn them into really fruitful, grown men that can go on and, and be, uh, go on with, you know, a meaningful degree. And, and, and we're fortunate because we get to use baseball, you know, as the catalyst towards those life skills. And, and um, you know, I, I really think that's, those are really the pillars and that's kind of our mission is, is yeah, you know, we got a heck of a schedule ahead of us. We're going to play really good teams. Um, we're going to send some guys on to professional baseball, and we're going to graduate just about everybody that comes here. But at the end of the day, we're going to treat people right. Um, we're going to be someplace that they're going to be proud they graduated from. And hopefully they're going to be the best four or five years of their life. Looking back, they're going to be able to say that was that was really cool. And, and, and I met some of the closest people I have in my life today. And and, um, and I think that's what, uh, that's what I want the program to be. And I, I think we've done a good job and I, and I've had great assistance. Uh, Corey, coach Bigler has been with me for 16, 17 years. Um, and then coach Wagner now as who played for me 
I've had, and I've had a handful of others and, and just really good people. Well, I like to dig in there on your staff and, you know, I think that's one of the consistencies you hear from successful programs is just a quality staff because you can't do everything or, or, or nor can you or want to do everything. Yeah. So, you know, like how do you, within your staff, you know, what position groups, how do you divide up, you know, the skill development side? Yeah, so we have, um, you know, myself along with Coach Wagner will tackle the offense. You know, for years and years I did it myself. And then, you know, I thought in the last few years, I would give up some of that, but you know, I, I'm certainly a, a big part of that, but we handle that together. He handles the catching this year. I'll be moving over to the outfield. Um, my, my assistant coach last year, Drew Pearson, who's, who got hired on with the Houston Astros here in the summer has moved on. And now we've hired an, another guy, Mike, but is going to take the infield. And so I'm going to go to the outfield and, and then coach Bigler who just does a fantastic job with, um, with the pitchers, and then we also have uh, a director of, of analytics, and that's uh, Jared Reclitus, who's, uh, you know, really in-depth with, uh, you know, the newest and in, in technology and analytics and, and trying to mold all of that stuff together. I, I try to make sure I keep some young guys around here because uh, as I'm getting older, it's getting harder to, to keep up with everything, and they do a great job of it. All right, so I wanted to get here to the technology piece. So analytics, right? Everybody's talking analytics at every level. Yeah. Um, what, what, what data points, what analytics are important to, to you and to your program? Well, that's a really open-ended question. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm somewhat of a traditionalist, and, and I believe if you pound the zone, uh, you work ahead in the count, good things are going to happen. Um, now we can take that and peel back, you know, a layer of the onion here and say, well, you know, this guy's uh, pitch metrics are going to make more sense at the top of the zone as opposed to the bottom of the zone, right? And so if he's a high spin rate guy, you know, how do we get ahead in the count so that we can spin the ball above the barrel late in the count? Or if he's a low spin rate guy, you know, how can we work east and west across the bottom half of the plate? Um, and just really trying to use technology to identify really the best course of action for their success and put them in a position to succeed. Um, and then the same thing goes with, you know, with the offensive side of things and hitting and, you know, guys that, that can create a little bit of, uh, of launch angle have to be proven to be guys that can create bat speed. And so, you know, those numbers need to match with, um, with also what you're seeing. And so I think more than anything, you know, the game has changed, um, I guess in how you teach it, because this is the way that the athletes want to be taught now. This is what's, this is what's in their ear. This is what's all over their phone and Twitter and YouTube and, you know, blogs and everything is about analytics. And so you, you've got to be able to speak the language if you want to get to these guys, if you want to hold credibility. Um, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, if you've been around the game a long time, you know, I, I know as a player, I, I could tell when a guy could, really spin the baseball and I needed to make sure I got on top of the ball. Otherwise I was going to be hitting the foul ball. Um, the ball had good ride in the strike zone. I didn't know the ball was spinning, but I knew what it looked like. Right. So I knew I, if, if this guy's throwing a ball like that, we better work the ball down in the zone or we're going to have a hard time with this guy. Right. And so it's, it's experience. And, and I think what technology has done is confirmed a lot of things that good baseball people can see. So, 
you talk about like spin rate, you know, maybe tracking RPMs and things like that. Like what actually, what have you guys invested in financially? You know, like a lot of coaches think, all right, I have this pot of money, you know, how should I spend it? So where, how would you advise guys to spend, you know, certain resources are some more valuable than others? Well, it's a good question. And it's the thing about it is it's evolving so quickly that um, you almost can't keep up. Your budget certainly can't keep up with what's out there. So, you know, a handful of years ago, we went out and spent 25 grand on a thing called flight scope. And basically what it was, was a track man. It was the, the pre precursor to track man, right? So we could see, you know, exit velocity, launch angle, spin rates, you know, uh, release points, um, spin axis, all that stuff. And um, it just wasn't as user-friendly as what you see now with TrackMan. So we have that. Um, both pitchers and hitters have Rapsodo, which is certainly more uh, uh, user-friendly. It's, it's very portable. It's something that the pitchers will use on a day-to-day -day basis with pens. We'll even use it in games in the fall at times. Um, and then the hitters, we'll, we'll, we try to get, although this year has been weird because we really haven't, we didn't have that segment of time to really work because of COVID, but we would try to get them on some of those devices, you know, a couple days a week and just track their progress um, as it relates to just, you know, hard contact and are you creating backspin or topspin, um, you know, your ability to stay in the zone a long time, some of those things. That's great. Thank you. appreciate that. Um, yeah. So you talked about just how things have changed over time, right? And I think one of the questions high school coaches always have is like, how can we better prepare our guys for the next level? Now, the next level is a variety of levels, right? So, you know, you're playing at the highest level our state has to offer. So in your chair, like, where do you see, and I hope you run with this for a while in many directions, <laughs> see high school kids come in with the biggest deficiencies? Well, I think a couple of things. I think first, first and foremost for me, um, you know, I've, I've been doing this quite a while now and the showcase and travel circuit has changed the layout of everything. Okay. Um, I think just by the nature of that, there's more of an individual uh, goal that the players have. And, um, and so I think, um, you know, PBR, and, you know, go pay $300 on a weekend and be ranked. You know, how do you rank a baseball player in two hours on a 60, hitting a ball off a tee and, you know, five ground balls that you max effort throw across the infield? That's not a baseball player. So I think sometimes we're being glorified. Those guys are being glorified as, as baseball players. And for me, baseball player is more about, uh, is more about grit and toughness and being able to, to work with your teammates, uh, handle failure, you know, your ability to adjust on the fly, um, deal with injuries, you know, are you willing to grind in the weight room? Is it really more about me or, is, or do, you know, do I care if I'm three for four or 0 for four? Do I, you know, and not that we don't want you to care, but we, I, it, it can't be me over we. And so that's the hardest thing that I see happening. And so you know, from day one, that's literally, we talk about that 90% of the time, you know, and, and swing mechanics like 10%. Like I, I want guys that, that are really in this for us, you know, a, a unified purpose and you know, what, what can they do to, to help the team? And that is not an easy thing. Let me tell you, because 
these kids are being ranked and glorified and talked about from the time they're sometimes 12 years old, as ridiculous as that sound, that's the truth. And so sometimes their parents don't necessarily know what, what's really in store for them um, just because they don't have the, that life experience at a high enough level. And so I think they buy into it too. And so that's being fed, you know, 24 seven. And, and I think it's the wrong message, unfortunately. So um, that would be the, 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 for me, like the, the biggest thing is if I was a high school coach and I could say, if you could do one thing, I would say, hold your best players accountable to that aspect because yeah, they're going to be your best players and you know, they are going to get the, the stats and they are going to get the notoriety, but, but they're going to get that anyway. How, because when they show up at a, at a really competitive program where now all of a sudden they're not the best guy and just about everybody I have on this team. And, you know, I'm at, I'm at Milwaukee at a mid-major in Wisconsin, right? So you talk about high level division one baseball, every single guy on every single team has always been the best guy basically. And they don't know how to handle some of this. Where do I fit in? Now I'm the third shortstop. What do you mean? I'm the third shortstop. Well, I mean, you're the third shortstop. And so they have no coping mechanism for that. And, and I'm not saying it's easy. It's an easy thing because let me tell you, that can be a daunting thing. I, you know, I have to deal with parents too, certainly different than you, than you guys do, thankfully. Um, but at the same time, um, it's, it can be real, it can be a real issue. And, um, I just really think that's the biggest challenge you guys have. And then secondly, I think the weight room has changed things completely to, you know, guys are coming in, needing to come in, um, far more mature physically to really give themselves a fighting chance to compete as a, as a freshman. Um, and, and some can do it because, uh, you know, there's some good programs out there and these kids are getting after. And that's the one good thing about some high-level travel, travel ball is they are putting these guys, you know, through the, through the ringer in that way. And, and these guys are showing up on campus a little bit more prepared. Obviously not all, but uh, having those guys prepared, I think, is really important. So now when you're, when you're going to recruit a high school kid, Okay, so, you know, certain metrics may open your eyes, all right, you know, PBR has a couple numbers, but, you know, I'm sure at some point you and your staff want to go see a kid. Yeah. If it's a high school game or a travel game in the summer, because obviously you're playing in the spring. Yeah. What are you looking for in that kid? Well, I think that's also a little bit open-ended. I mean, it depends on your needs, what position you're looking at. Um, more than anything, me personally, I, I want guys that are, we call it an OKG, which means it stands for our kind of guy. And so an OKG here is somebody that plays with energy, um, um, looks to make their teammates better, and just plays really fast and hard. And so I, I'd like to show up, and I, and I know this is going to sound crazy. If we can see a guy a few times, um, that's always better. I mean, if you could see him 10 times, it would be better, but unfortunately you can't. But if we can see a guy a few times, you know, I, one of those times I want, I want them to really have a bad game. <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy, but I, I, I tend to like to go to games and I won't, you know, I won't wear anything UW Milwaukee. And I tell my coaches the same thing, like just find yourself in the weeds a little bit. Nobody needs to know you're there and then see how they handle themselves. You know, or, or, can they handle failure? 
And it will be, it's astounding to me how often they cannot. Because they're, like I said, they are usually, you know, one of the better guys on those teams. And unfortunately, they don't always handle it right. And, um, you know, there's some, there's some pouting. You can see some actions where you can see it's more about them than, than the team. And um, so that stands out to me, first and foremost. If I go watch a guy one game or two games, right, it's going to be hard for me to judge what kind of baseball player he is physically you know I'm, I'm hoping to see some bad speed I'm hoping to see some early pitch identification you know you're hoping to see some you know one two-step lateral burst can the guy move quickly and then ultimately you'd love to see some instinct for the game you know does he move around you know instinctively or is everything going to have to be kind of formulated through thought um and that that's a lot to take in 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 one or two or three games. So you know you do your best, but you know I, I think that's the one thing about the PBR showcase is that it's just getting completely lost in the shuffle. Um, and don't get me wrong, I think PBR is a great. There's a time and a place for it. It can, it can really identify some some skill sets. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't I don't think it's it's telling the true story. And so we try to make sure that we're reading the whole book. Well, that's something as, as high school guys, right? We want to relate to our kids. It's, it's not just the three for three. It's the between inning stuff. It's yep. the, you know, just, so I, I mean, are you got, you just hawking that kid, you know, how is he taking balls between innings? You know, a mommy handed Gatorade over the, the dugout. I mean, all of it, the, the entire picture. Absolutely. And, and probably more so that than the actual game action is as crazy as that sounds because one game, everybody's had a good game or a bad game. Right. So, you know, that can kind of come and go, but I think those characteristics tell you a little bit about what, about what the future might look like. Well, um, I mean, for you to show up to one of our high school games, obviously a kid can play, and you're not going to spend your time at a, at a place where the kid doesn't have talent. Right. But at the end of the day, you, you got to get in your car and mm -hmm. know, is he an OKG or not? You know, is he a guy that can be a part of this program? You got it. I mean, you, you hit it exactly on the head. And, and the thing about it is, you know, when I first started here for 10 or even maybe even 15 years, you know, we could drive around the Midwest and just out hustle people and find sleepers um, that nobody knows about just because they're maybe a three sports star. They're not on the, the travel circuit or whatever. Um, and you could find some really good players that way. Well, nowadays it, it just doesn't seem to be the case. Everybody's kind of out there because of the, the one day events. So, those those skill set numbers are going to follow every. All right, coach. So we're back into it. Um, so you we're talking just how recruiting has changed over time. You used to guys be able to hustle in the Midwest and land, um, you know, some, some players, some three sport athletes. Um, how else has recruiting changed over time? Well, like I mentioned earlier, I think it's you know it's it's so readily available. People are. Uh, are listed and ranked. And, you know, as an example, I could type in, uh, let's say I need a shortstop in the 23 class. I could type in basically any state uh, in the country and it's going to give me, you know, the top 10 shortstops, right. Based on a skill set, I guess. And so, you know, that right there gives you a list of people that you know at the bottom end have physical tools, or at least you know what those metrics are going to be. And then it's a matter of, of, um, you know, showing up and, and, and seeing if you like the overall player. Whereas years, years past, it used to be, you know, a high school coach calling you, which still happens, I guess. Um, 
uh, or some kind of uh, an area connection that you have, like a relationship that you have with, you know, somebody that you trust, um, which still does happen, but it's just far less, I, I guess. Um, and then, you know, it used to be that I would go watch guys play basketball. You can believe it or not, just to see, you know, g generic athleticism and things like that. And it's even hard to find a guy that plays more than just baseball, uh, unfortunately. But um, I think it's just changed tenfold. Yeah, well, now, I mean, so now where we are on the calendar, it's it's January 11th. You know, you're, you're about to get started with the guys coming back on campus. I think one thing that I'm always intrigued on, I know other coaches are, is just how do you plan your practices? What's your process? How do you, you and your staff go about it? Um, you know, kind of the training economy, I guess, would be the buzzword to use. So, so what does it look like for you guys? Yeah, I think it depends on the time of the year. Um, and then I also think it's, it's, it's based a little bit on um, where you're at as a program. You know, um, this year and last year, we just had really just young groups, right? So really, really fundamental heavy. Um, trying to make sure that we break down, you know, the process of the outcome and, and trying to get them to understand both physically and mentally what that, what the thought should be. And then physically what that's supposed to, to look like in a, in a dry form, meaning maybe no ball and just really grind out body movement patterns over and over and over again. And then in an active fundamental where you incorporate a ball, but it's not in a team setting yet. So it might be, you know, middle infielders working on four different types of double plays, right? That would be an active fundamental. Um, and then taking that and bringing it into a team concept. And then everybody's kind of doing that at the same time. And so, um, or they're doing that, you know, their position pod individually kind of with the same form uh, or the same thought process. Um, and I think the more that we can slow things down, the faster we end up going. Um, but like I said, I, I think you have to, you got to read the personality of your team and the experience of your team. I don't need fifth year senior guys, you know, dry fundamentaling as quite as much as you're going to need the 18 year old. So, you know, I think that's part of it. I also think, unfortunately, you know, the facility situation that we're in on, on given days and weeks change so much here that sometimes we're really having to be creative, just like high school coaches are for sure. You know, you're, you're probably not as afforded, um, maybe as much what um, you're not afforded as much one-on-one -on -one time and, and certainly maybe not even as much individual coaching with, with your assistant coaches not being there all the time and, and things like that, where we are a little bit more fortunate that way. So, you know, I think the economy of it has to do with facilities and, and it has to do with, you know, the amount of time we're really given to, to actually bang that out and get it, get it done. But I just really, really, really believe in fundamentals and process. And so, um, try not to look at results too much, even in, even in most of the practice. And then I will say this every day, if I can, I try to have uh, a portion of the practice be a little bit harder than I think the game will be. So we'll do, you know, every single day we'll do 10 to 15 minutes of overspeed where they're seeing, they're seeing 95 to 97 and they're seeing a slider that's 87 or better. And so we try to, even if it's just 15 swings per guy, and we'll just chart it, solid contact, poor contact, no contact, and then track it. And, and you know, they're kind of – and actually have them grade them themselves, grade each other, right? So 
their scorecard has nothing to do with what coach thinks about it. It's just, this is what we saw. We write it down. We post it. Here's what you did last week. Here's what you did last month. Here's what you did last year. And then hopefully you can see some steady increase in, in, in that. And then also find, you know, 15, 20 minutes, even 30 minutes every day if we can compete in something we're doing. I think that's something that, that is also lost uh, was when we were talking earlier. You know, I think there's so much information out there right now. Um, there's so much information that's just readily available to these guys. It follows them 24-7 on their phone. I mean, they can literally find whatever they want to talk about or think about on their phone instantly, right? And so there's so much of that that I think sometimes the fact that it's we forget that this is just a competitive activity and it's, it's sometimes it's just one guy's will versus another. And so I, I don't think that can be practiced enough. If I could do it more, I would. Um, but that's kind of how I, I, we, we hit our checks and balances every day. I also really like to make it fast pace. So there's no standing. We're trying to move to a new drill every 10 to 12 minutes within their position. Um, whether we're doing it well or not, we're moving on. You're coming with us or you're not. And we're going to do it. We're going to keep grinding it out every single day, move fast. Kind of like the game does, right? I mean, you don't get to run a first and third play five times so you get it right in the game. You got you to gotta, gotta be able to do it on the fly. And so um, over the years, I, I think we've gotten more economic in that way, trying to be competitive. And then also, if I can make practice harder than the game, I, I really try to do that every single day. So what I'm taking away right now is so, uh, some core things that – there's, you know, individual defensive time, right? So they're in their position pods, yep. team defense, and then the kind of above game speed. That's right. You know, format, probably on both sides of the ball, I'm Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. It, yes. you know, how do you do that on the defensive side of the ball? What do you, do you shorten up bases? Do you have runners cheat? Do you go live with, you know, what does that look like on the defense side of the ball? It's a good question. So like for an infielder, as an example, um, we'll use training gloves. So, you know, the glove is, it basically cuts the web out of the glove and the fingers are really short. So forcing you to really dominate the palm and forcing your top hand to work, you know, in unison. Um, and then, you know, take as many ground balls, do everything as violently and as quickly as you would normally, um, but grade it out, even though you've got the small glove on. We, we use the, the training gloves every day, um, basically at practice. That would be an example of how you can make that a little bit more difficult, right? Outfield, outfielders will do a lot of stuff with tennis balls where they don't get to use their actual glove, just the glove hand. So really focusing on hand-eye coordination and vision um, and being able to control your glove hand, things like that. Uh, pitchers, will throw, pitchers will throw 90 foot bullpens as opposed to 60 foot bullpens. And if you're somebody that can't get on top of the ball and the ball wants to leak early because you're, you're late, I mean, it's really hard to throw a 90-foot pen when the ball's leaking, as an example. Um, and so being able to really get the ball to spin and stay on line and, and things like that. And then the last thing is, is the competing, right? I mean, again, you kind of highlighted it with, with maybe today's kid. Today's recruit, today's 18-year-old is maybe a little bit less competitive than they were 10 years ago for a variety of reasons. So yeah. you're now finding a way to build that into your practices. So like what, what staples do you have? How do you manufacture that competing in your practice setting? Well, I can think of a couple. So we'll do like, um, uh, we'll go from like just, you know, our stretch, our stretching 15, 20 minutes where we break that up into three phases. 
and then we'll go do the infielders will go do wall ball. So we'll, we'll get in a line um, down the wall and they've got to juggle a ball off the wall 20 times for time. And all it is, is just hand-eye coordination, um, really being able to control your hand, get the ball into your throwing hand really quickly, getting it off the wall. And then you've got two balls going at once. So it's some coordination, right? And so it takes, you know, it takes our best guy about six seconds, 6.2 seconds, I think is his best to get the ball off the wall 20 times. So that ball's moving pretty quick, right? So as dumb as this sounds, I literally will have a starburst, like one starburst. And we'll say, let's go, let's go win a starburst. And it's amazing how bad they want the one starburst. And we know it's not about the starburst more than anything. They want to win, right? So, and we've got this guy right now who always wins that. Whether we're doing backhand wall ball, we're doing um, uh, where our feet are switching or we're doing standard, he just seems to be better at it. So the other guys, I'll walk up there sometimes and we're not even at practice and there'll be a couple other guys doing it on their own. And yes, I think they're doing it because they want to get better, but I think they want the starburst when it comes right down to it. So there's, there's things like that. Every single day at batting practice in BP, you know, whether we'll have, we'll have certainly have station work where it's T or front toss or whatever, or over speed or small ball or whatever it is. But every day we'll have four or five rounds where they grade each other out and we just, and they score at one, two, or three. Three is a ball that is absolutely smoked. Just a grade A swing, smoked, you get a three. Two is you hit it decent, but there's a little bit more left in the tank. One, you didn't hit it very good. Um, and then so 20 swings go by, you got a score, that's your score. I keep a running total every day, every week, every month. They're grading each other, and then I just post it. You know, our best guy right now is averaging like 2.35 in the fall. That's what he was averaging. And our worst guy was maybe more towards like the 1.7 area. And the, the great thing about it is it's, it's, it's applicable to today, but I think it's actually a carrot for them. Like when I have their exit meeting in December, I can go over their fall and I can say, hey, your, your overspeed percentages were, you know, hard contact was, was 22%. And you can see from freshman to sophomore to junior to senior year how they're able to start to slow the ball down. There's a little bit better back control, ball to, to bat skill. Um, and you can even see it with just standard batting practice. Like you would think a freshman is going to be, you know, closer to the two, whether it's one eight to, you know, two one or something like that. And typically our, our juniors and our seniors are more closer to, you know, two, three or two, four on average um, with just the hard contact in BP. Um, and that's just, that's just other ways to compete. It's just another way to hold yourself accountable. Somebody else is watching and I, what I also like about it is when you do that, you tend not to think about your swing so much. Now, we just came from, you know, 40 minutes of dry, tea, front toss, whatever it is that we're working on, right, where we were able to break down, try to get better, try to get more efficient. I'll give them some time in BP to, to, to kind of transfer that over for a few rounds. But then the last four rounds, let's see this baseball and let's hit it where it's pitched really hard. And let's be able to repeat it. And then let's see what your score is. Write it down, put it on the computer, track it. And then, it, and then we've got something to talk about and really see the, the, the progress. Because, you know, progress happens so slowly sometimes. You can't see it or feel it. And so sometimes it's, it's just a great indicator that you are getting better. And you know what? Unfortunately, there are cases where we can see guys go backwards too. Because they can't get out of their own head. They can't, 
you know, they're too mechanical. They're, they're too uh, analytical in their thoughts and they start to lose some of the competitive natural instinct that they had. And it is a balancing act. That's great. I mean, like, so when you post that list, you know, you post those numbers is, I got to imagine when it's time to make a lineup, it's, it's pretty close to who your nine guys are. The guys grading out the highest. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely fair to say. I mean, there, occasionally there'll be an outlier because they're, they're doing something else defensively that, that gets them in there. But for the most part, you can tell that your top of the order is going to be your guys that, and this is year after year, they're going to be the guys that just grade out the best, the most consistently. And that's the one thing about Rapsodo, if you, if you can get something like that in there, is it's doing that for you too at the same time. Um, you know, you're getting, you're getting exit velocity every single swing, you know, and so everybody's, everybody wants the guy that, that gets to 104 or 105, right? I mean, he is smoking the baseball, but he might also be the guy that's 104, 105, and then consistently in the 80s, whereas you're going to find your, your, your more consistent and productive hitters are guys that live in the high 90s, they're able to repeat, they're able to hit it across the east and west across the plate, and that's the one thing Rapsodo can do for us. It'll just spit out a, a thing, a, 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 a biology basically on every single guy. You know, it breaks down all of those things and it prints it out and we can just post that and, and we can then, that can also help dictate how we, we train a little bit too for each, each individual. And I do want to get to how you structure your lineup. I've got one more question on practice planning because yep. one of those things where like, do you and your staff get there, you know, do you do throughout the day? Do you take, you know, two hours before practice starts? Do you kind of work on it throughout the night? Before? Like when you, it's time to, you know, you know, you're going to be inside or outside. You're on the field, you're in the gym, you know, you kind of know the parameters of practice. Yeah. Do you actually go about the process of planning your practices. Yeah. I think before, um, whether it's fall or, or spring as we're coming into now, we will meet together as a staff and try to basically break down our goals for each position group, break down our goals for the team, and then try to come up with a plan on how we're gonna get there, right? And then, so let's say we start, Monday happens, um, we'll talk a little bit after practice about things we maybe didn't like or we did like. And then the next morning, I personally will just come out here, come in here and, and spend an hour grinding it out and, and doing it. And, and they can certainly have as much impact as they want or input as they want. And, and Coach Bigler will do this. He'll, he'll do all the pitching. I don't even mess, pretend to mess with that. So him and, and Jared would do that. And um, I just will tell him how much time they have in certain areas and when I'm going to need them for team defense or first and thirds or, you know, uh, whatever it is, base running breaks and leads, something like that. And then he's going to let me know I need catchers at, you know, whatever time. And um, he does such a great job of, of really working the whole – pitcher not just the pitch mechanics but from a, a rehab and a prehab and you know correlating that and tying it all into our strength and conditioning phase it is really a it's it's really been an unbelievable evolution that I've seen in 25 years of just the game and how it's grown in that way well and that's you know in, in my my shorter time coaching I you know I feel like there was a time when you know, guy shows up to practice, he gets his yellow notepad out, writes down a couple of things he wants to do that day. And then, you know, if it, it takes a little bit longer than they imagined or not, and then there's the guy for a minute by minute, you know, there's bells going off, there's timers going off. 
Is that how you guys are operating? I mean, everything is minute by minute breakdown and you're moving on to the next. Yeah. Like, so typically it's like I said earlier, I, I want to stay about 10 to 12 minutes on everything. So everything is kind of about that. Occasionally we'll, we'll extend a little bit more in team defense, um, but not much. I mean, so it is literally, I got a watch in my hand and we got one more rep. We get the rep done and we move on whether we executed it or not. And um, I just, I find that that keeps it energetic. It, it, it also doesn't allow you to feel like, well, if I, if I messed up the, the last one, let's just do it again, you know, because like my favorite thing to do is have a guy take a really bad swing on his, on his last round and say one more and I'll say, nope. And, and I know that is gut wrenching to the athlete because if you do that, what that's, that's doing, that's putting more weight on the other rep and, and they all count the same. So let's just show up today. Let's be prepared in our, in our thoughts, be prepared in what we're going to get done and let's just go execute it. And let's not worry about the result too much. Um, because you, you all know anybody that's been around coaching or played the game, that's such a fleeting thing and it comes and goes. Right. And so, you know, just understanding the process, you know, being mature enough to understand there's going to be failure in that process. And sometimes that means you took a bad swing. And I say that because I'm done playing like that would have killed me. Like that would have absolutely killed me to not be able to take one more. And I see it killing my athletes at the same time. But I also know that if they know they don't have one more as a gimme, they focus through the, they th they focus through the event. And you also want them, you want them to feel like there's some, there is some uh, cause and effect. Like if we don't execute a, a rundown right, like there's a penalty to that. It's not just we get to do it again, right? Mm -hmm. If one guy makes a mistake on the baseball field, we all are going to pay the price. And so we got to hold all of us, each other accountable to being able to execute on the fly, under duress, under adversity, and be able to repeat it at a really high rate. And, and I just think, you know, the more experience you get and the more understanding you have and the more relaxed and confident you can be in your own skin, you'll start to execute, uh, you know, that at a pretty high level. And that's, that's where having a young team can be tough. That's what's so frustrating about last year is I knew we were going to be, you know, pretty much facing, you know, the wolves. We were, we were being thrown out to the wolves and that's what I wanted. Like I wanted to see that. And then, unfortunately it got cut off and then so that development just stopped right and that that's what's so sad about you know the, the the situation I wanted to be able to to see that growth and not just have to deal with the failure you know that's that's the unfortunate thing and then you know summer and even in the fall was kind of some of the same although it was better um it's just we're just in a tough time right now and so we got to get through it but everybody's dealing with it so that's good stuff. That that last rep thing, I don't ever heard it put that way. I mean, that's just like you said, gut wrenching. But you know, the, the competitor, you know, the competitor in you that knows you have one more and it's done. Yeah, that's that's powerful. All right, so practice setting to the game setting. It's it's go time. Um, lineup construction. I mean, when you and your staff are making the, the day's lineup, I mean, what are you looking for? Is there a certain sequence or rhyme or reason when you put together those nine guys? Yeah, it's a really good question, and, and there's books written on this, and there's sabermetrics coming out, which would, you know, say one thing or the other. Um, <clears throat> I think I'm a little too old school for that, um, and I do believe in, in some, some of that, but 
typically, you know, over the years here, I'm, I'm, I have not been a small ball person like that. That's never met my eye. Um, but I also think your job is to win. And so you have to take the personality of your team and you have to take, you know, the people on that roster and you've got to create a, pro a product that creates pressure. Um, and so whether that means you create pressure by, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten pitch at bats a lot, um, working deep in the count, or you're a team that at any given moment, you know, can hit the ball over the fence uh, or into the gap. You know, for me, I, I've always thought that if I can have a lineup full of nine guys that can get to second base on their own, meaning there's somebody that gets to first base at a high volume and they're fast enough to create pressure to get to second, or there's somebody that, that can understand the disciplines of counts and have leverage and strength to get to second base. So if you've got nine guys that can get to second base, boy, it's hard to pitch to. And so that's kind of how I base the lineup. You know, we're, we're, our goal here is to try to get to third base with one out at all times. That's my goal. Like that's when we hit and run. That's when we steal. That's when we whatever. And it's not a secret. So that's, that's our, our risk and reward is based on how do I get to third base with one out so that my team – teammate can, can drive me in without, with a productive out. So a long winded answer um, would really be, I don't know. It's, it's the personality of, of, you know, the team and, and also think, you know, where you're at, uh, you know, the confidence of your team, how your lineup swinging the bat at the time. Sometimes, unfortunately, elements can be a factor. You know, we're going to be at a huge yard right in this coming spring. The wind's going to be blowing in off the lake. The turf is slow. I mean, I, I have a hard time believing we're going to be sitting there waiting for three-run home runs to win games a lot of times. So we're going to have to create pressure with pitch counts, uh, you know, down angle reads, hit and runs. You know, we're going to have to play the game one through nine and, and really come up with productive outs. One thing, and I don't mean to take too too long on this. Um, um, one thing that for me is is something that I – that I, I hammer to the guys is, you know, I'll ask them how, you know, if we're going to play a quality opponent, you know, how many base hits are we going to hit, get on X, Y, or Z day, you know, and they kind of look at you and they keep looking and they don't know what to say. And sometimes somebody will say, you know, eight, 10, 11, you know, they don't know what to say. And, and the fact of the matter is that that's a variable that we can't control, but I do know how many outs we're going to get. So I want to make sure that my outs make more sense than my opponent's outs. And it doesn't matter who I'm playing. If I do that, I know I have a chance to be in a baseball game and win it down the stretch. I'm moving runners. I'm inside the baseball the way I should be. Um, I'm putting the ball in play at a high level. I'm, I'm, I'm productive, even though I'm making out. I'm going to make 27 outs. Or I'm going to make 24 outs and we won the game. Right. So I don't know if I'm going to get 10 hits, eight hits. We're going to score three runs, five runs, seven runs. Those are variables. Let's make them work for every out that we make. And if we do that, that will tire you down. If you've got nine guys in your lineup willing to fight and grind and battle and go to war for the guy standing next to him, I don't care who we're playing. We're going to be tough to beat. And that comes with experience. It comes with toughness. And it also comes with with recruiting, like finding people that have that mantra, that have that, that have that tenacity and determination and selflessness to fight for the, the guy standing next to him, that I don't think you're going to see in that PBR event. And unfortunately, um, 
the day that's the day and age we're living in and i think some of the, the attributes that were that were glorifying aren't necessarily the ones that should be glorified so my lineup anyway is based on oh, is based on all of that stuff yeah and i just got me thinking about two strike approach you know i just like that that's it, that is the game right in, in many ways you know yeah. as the ball what happens with two strikes so like is it, you know how do you teach the two strike approach on the offensive side of the ball well, I think it's uh, there's a there's a bunch of different ways to go um, to look at it. Number one is don't get to two strikes. The reality is when you face good opponents, you're going to. Okay, so if we're trying to play championship baseball, we know we're going to have to face guys that can pitch, meaning they're going to work ahead in the count. They're going to have enough electricity in and around the zone. They're going to get to two strikes, and so so much of that for me is a mentality. It's, it's just a dog in the fight. And so much of that is just a will. And I'll be honest with you, my team last year absolutely sucked at it. And, and, it, and we faced some really good arms. First couple of first round picks and it was great. I loved it. But we laid down way too easily, right? Okay, so we didn't have those coping mechanisms and we didn't fight like we needed to fight. So it starts with our mentality. And then it, and then it goes to your approach is your approach makes sense with what the opponent's trying to do. Well, I know that basically for me, they can throw five pitches. They can throw a fastball in, they can throw a fastball away. They can throw a curveball, a changeup, or a slider or a splitter, something like that. Of those five pitches that they can throw, I know that in four of them, on four of them, I've got to let the ball get deep. I've got to let the ball travel to be successful on Fastball away has got to travel. Curveball, I got to let travel. Slider, I got to let get a little deeper. And for sure, a splitter or some kind of a funky forkball or knuckleball, you got to let the ball get deep, right? So getting the head of the bat out early is going to allow me to be successful really 20% of the time. And that's if the opponent doesn't know what he's doing. So I know they know what they're doing. So I got to be ready for their best fastball, but I got to be ready for their best fastball deep to the opposite field. And so I think for most people, for my team, we've, we've worked on getting a little bit wider, um, whatever it takes, basically. Um, but more than anything, winning, winning the approach. Like, I, I know I've got to see the baseball just a tick longer, right? Because if I miss here, um, that's, the, that's the last line of defense. I can't miss here. And, and also, I think there's, there's an understanding of when a strikeout is okay, and when a strikeout is not okay, like when we really need a team at bat and understanding that. And that's, that's a maturing process. And, but I know this, if we got the head of the bat out early with two strikes, we don't get it. So we want that fastball in the inside corner to be really, really tough for our hitters to get to. And I, I, we teach with two strikes, unless you're a middle of the order guy and you're really seeing the ball well with two strikes, we're going to be, we're going to be tight on the pit on the plate. We're going to force, the ball on the outside corner to be more towards the middle. And we're going to force him to have to dot the inside corner, which is a tough thing. If they miss by just two or three inches in, it's going to hit us in the, the thigh or the elbow. If they miss that way, that's exactly what I'm looking for. And so it's a matter of a mentality and approach and just, just don't give in. I mean, and then ultimately if you are somebody that strikes out a lot, you really just have to be a little bit more aggressive early in the count. That's awesome coach. That's that, that, that just, just seems like it's feeding into so much of what you're talking about. Know, 
the battle, the toughness, the, the competitor, you know, it's me versus you, hitter versus pitcher. So that's what the pitchers, that's what the player's doing. You're over at third base. Like, I feel like coaching third base is a lot easier said than done. You know, and you're, you're thinking X amount of pitches ahead, you know, runners on everywhere. You're reading all this kind of stuff. So as you're standing at third base, are there certain things that you're looking for? From the pitcher or? Anywhere. Pitcher, anywhere. catcher, outfielders, you know, you, as you're sending guys, as you're not. I mean, give up as much as you'd like to here. Well, yes, I think is the answer to all of it. I think you're <laughs> trying to take in all of that, right? I'm trying to see if the pitcher's tipping pitches. I'm trying to see if the catcher's tipping pitches. I'm, I'm trying to see if uh, the infielders are shifting late, giving up a, a location, which happens a lot. Um, you, you can see sometimes even by the outfielders, sometimes we'll shade. You know, you're taking that into account. You're taking, you know, you're certainly taking wind and weather, depth of the outfield. I mean, all of the above, right? Athletic third baseman, non-athletic third baseman, first baseman that can move or throw. First baseman's that can't throw. You can be more aggressive in certain situations. Um, literally, there's there's probably a hundred things that you're kind of soaking in at once, right? Um, and and you know, the more information you can can get, and and then having a uh, a basis or a groundwork where you have the ability to then to communicate some of that information to your athletes on the fly um, is a big part of it. Um, because if you've got to go talk about something for 20 minutes, four innings probably just went by and you just gave up how many opportunities before then they figured out that we figured it out. So right. it's a, it's just a chess match. Everybody's playing the game and um, you know, certainly some guys are better at it than others. And, and, and that's the one thing, having a mature team, you know, um, if, if you've prepared the right way along the path, some of those things are really uh, easy to handle on the fly and, you, and you, can, you can play at a high level. But I think there's so many of those things going on in a baseball game that the average person doesn't even, you know, have any idea that's happening. And, and sometimes I've got a team full of guys that don't know that that's happening. <laughs> And, and my job is to make sure that at some point sooner than later, we get them to figure out how important these subtleties to the game are because they are truly the difference between winning and losing 50% of the games. I, I think if you look at all your, you know, your, your close games, which, you know, most of the time, you know, half of your losses are going to be in tight games. You know, I, th I think half of them, if you'd have just executed one thought, um, a little bit better somewhere in the game, you probably would have found a run or saved a run, right? And so that it's really that fine of a line. And, and if you're, you know, a team playing 56 games and you go, you know, 28 and 28, and 14 of those games were close, and all of a sudden you win the margin, now all of a sudden you take seven games on there, you just won, you know, you went 35 and, and 18 as opposed to 25 and 20 or 27 and 27. And, and obviously when you're playing, you know, for championships down the stretch, you can assume you're playing teams that are doing these things well. And so if we don't do those things well, or even better than they do, you're gonna have a hard time winning and, and repeating those wins. Yeah, that's like, that's, that's a whole different level that I think very few people get to. And I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about like, when you have a veteran team, those, those conversations are naturally happening in a dugout, right? Cause like you said, you're standing at third base, you see something that maybe no one else sees and you think, all right, I'm, you know, a hundred yards away. It's maybe some dugouts. How am I going to communicate this to a guy? And if you don't have a system in place, then 
you're over there steaming at third base, I'm sure, and thinking, I, you know, you almost can't wait till the next half inning, but at the same time, you're on offense. Yeah. It's just it's the chaos that's going on up there. Yeah, and, take, and taking that to another level, the very best teams, you know, that I've had and pretty, probably everybody's had, those, those teammates are doing it on their own. In the dugout? They're doing, they're doing it without coaches, whether it's, you know, it's pitch tipping or, you know, sequencing of pitches or, you know, watching infielder shift or, you know, they're playing the game and, and I'm in the dugout watching the game. Like, I'll tell you what time the bus leaves. We're going to leave at 1030, BP's at 1115. And then I watch the game and then we decide where we're going to go eat. And those are the best teams. And they're the most fun teams to be around because the groundwork has been laid. Those guys revel in the fact that they're playing the whole game, not just I'm two for four, I'm one for three, or we won nine to four, we lost nine to four. They're playing every little element of the game within it. Uh, And that's just so rewarding and fun to be around. And it's not easy to get to that point. Let me tell you, especially, you know, for us, if we get, you know, have a couple guys here or there that are really quality players and they're junior drafts and you're like, God, we just worked so hard to get to this point and now they're gone and we could have another year. And, but at the same time, I get it. I mean, that's, that's the carrot, right? That's what we're all shooting for. And, you know, certainly happy and proud of those guys, but it is, uh, it's going to be interesting this year in college baseball because there's so many returning seniors that were supposed to be gone last year or even draftable guys that didn't get drafted because it was only 10 rounds. The game of baseball is going to be so deep and, and it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts everything. A lot of conferences aren't playing midweek games. So pitching depth on the weekend is going to be greater and it's just going to be interesting. Well, I mean, you talk about all these things you've learned over the years. It sounds like you're a continual learner. You're always, you know, as old school as you are, you're, you're incorporating, you know, technology and trying to keep up and, and give your players the best experience. Like, what are, you, what are you working on now? Like, what are you learning now? Or maybe there's something you've learned recently that's made you do a 180 on something. Yeah, I think it's, it's not necessarily one thing or one physical technique or anything. I think it's understanding technology a little bit better and I have to get better at it. I mean, I mean, I literally can't keep up with it. It is, it's moving that fast. And, and so being able to speak the language that the athletes want to be spoken to in, um, I'm not as good as I should be and I I have to keep working at it. Um, But I think that is something that is, I, I think in today's day and age, if you want to be successful, you better learn that language pretty darn good. Um, and, and Coach Wagner does a really good job of understanding um, uh, Picaro as well, and, and, and certainly Coach Bigler and, and Reclitis. Um, so I would say it's not necessarily one thing. I mean, I mean, I could say there's, there's 20 things over the years where like, I can't believe I was teaching that. And then you start teaching this and, um, you know, there's a handful of those things for sure. Um, the game just evolves. It's just like everything else that keeps evolving and you have to grow with it. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think the fundamentals of the game are much different. Um, there are maybe some tiny nuances that have changed. You know, the athlete is maybe a little bigger and stronger, um, even at my level, believe it or not. Um, they're certainly more physical when they come in than they used to be. Um, but I think there's just more information. There's just so much more information. Um, and, and like I, I said earlier, I, I think that information can be paralyzing at times. And, and it's, a, it's a combination and a blend. I mean, as an example, like we'll, we'll go into a weekend, we'll have a scouting report on the dugout wall, right? And it'll talk about 
spin rates and percentages of pitches thrown and what counts and um, how many times this guy swings at first pitch fastball versus, I mean, there's a thousand things and you're looking, I'm reading these. And so they'll bring in a, you know, they'll bring in a bullpen arm and I'll see the indicator come over there and he's reading all these things. And I get it. Like you're soaking in that information, but at the same time, I don't think that information should trump the game. And that's, it still comes down to, I got to get a good pitch that's in my zone. I got to be on time for that pitch. And then I got to be able to get a barrel on it. And, and sometimes our brain um, can get in the way. And if you've got super analytical or um, just really well thought out kids that can get in their own headspace, it can be, it can definitely be detrimental. So like, as an example, we've got guys that I know will have the Rapsodo set up for the bullpens. And some guys you can actively, you know, hold the iPad and after every pitch and say, you know, your release point was X, Y, and Z. Your, you know, the spin on your, on your ball was not whatever it is they're looking for. The spin efficiency wasn't right. And, and the, the super um, analytical guy wants to know every pitch. Like, well, at the end of the day, you threw the ball and it was four feet to the right and it was six feet high. So I don't know that it necessarily matters what the spin rate or the spin axis was. You, you missed home plate by four feet. And so there's certain guys you don't even like the coach will hold it. He'll take the information. You just go throw your bullpen. We'll, we'll gather some of that for you and we'll try to d- disseminate that so that you're not, you're not going to paralyze yourself. And some guys fight that for sure. Um, so I would say that's the, the, the biggest thing that I've learned is just how to, and, and still learning at it, um, is, is trying to, to grow with them because they've grown up in this world of, of technology and, and, you know, and it's moving fast even for them. Um, in the game of baseball has just changed so much that way. I, I got to get you out of here pretty soon. We're running up on the time because, uh, because yep. I had some tech issues. I apologize. Um, last Give some advice to coaches. High school coaches are kind of primarily who listen to this. You know, from what you see coming out of high schools, you know, put yourself in, in our shoes a bit. Um, give us some advice. Well, it's uh, – first of all, I can't thank you guys enough for what you do. It's a thankless job. I know the amount of money you get paid and the amount of time you put into it. And um, to really be good at it, it's, it's a 24-hour-a-day job. And, and I don't think, I don't think parents or people really realize what goes into it. So I thank you and, and everybody, you know, like yourself around there that's doing that. Um, I think your biggest challenge as coaches is just, you don't have any practice time, number one, and your biggest challenge right now is travel teams. And how you win the battle with travel teams, I'm not exactly sure. That's, that's a really, really hard thing because they are, they just have the ability to, to see and do things that you guys can't do. They get to go travel and it's a different environment and competition levels. They get to choose the competition levels and, and all that. And you're kind of, you know, held accountable to your conference and, you know, somewhat of your competition you can, but, but I, I think it would be, my advice really would be to try to make uh, first and foremost, make the game fun because if, if we're playing baseball and it's not fun, I don't think it makes sense. Try to make it as competitive as you can possibly make it. And then try to hold your best player the most accountable to anybody. And I think if you did that, um, 
you have a really fighting chance, a really good fighting chance to, to really have a good product on the field. And I think that culture will, will breed success. And I think it'll spill down to the younger ages. And, and that's where you really get your culture, right? Is if you can get to your, your 10 to, you know, even your nine, you nine to U14, if you can get them kind of speaking your language, playing the game your way. And by the time they get to your level, hopefully the game is no difference. It's just a little faster, but they've kind of heard those same things. And, but it, it, it takes so much energy and time um, and thankless time really for you guys to do that. And so I don't envy you in a lot of ways, but I also at the same time admire, admire what you guys do because it really is uh, it's really impressive what you guys have done. And I know my high school coach, Tim O'Driscoll, you know, you asked me to think about pillars. Like he, he's a guy for me and it wasn't about, uh, he was at Arrowhead, you know, he won a million games. I think 10 years ago, he probably had the most wins in the state. I think Hughes at Franklin topped him, but um, you know, a thousand wins. And, and I, and I don't remember one thing coming out of Arrowhead with like, I learned this about baseball, like hold my hands here or throw the ball this way. But what I did learn from him was, how he cared for his players, the energy for the game. He made, uh, he made the worst guy and the best guy feel the same. And I think he made every single day fun and competitive. And that stood out with me. Like that was a good experience, whether we won or lost the game. If we lost, I was going to be really upset, but, at, but a, a half hour later, I can look back and I could still say, wow, that was, that was still pretty fun. And, and I think that's what the sport should be about. And there it is. Huge thank you goes out to Coach Duffick for taking time to sit down with me today. Um, man, you can really hear the energy, the, the competitor. Um, man, you, you, now you know why so many guys love playing for him. You know, so many coaches love sending their guys to go play for him and his staff. Scott has, Scott has done so much for our state. You know, he, he always has. Uh, he recruits Wisconsin kids. His coaching staff is a bunch of Wisconsin guys. Takes a ton of pride in that. Speaks at our clinic. Um, you know, it's always accessible for high school coaches and just really grateful to have him as an ambassador of baseball and in the only Division I program, NCAA Division I program in the state of Wisconsin. Again, huge thank you goes out to listeners for taking time today. And we hope that you tune in to next episode as we sit down with another college coach um, across the state and a very timely episode as we all get into our college seasons and start making that march towards the high school start. Uh, until then, have a great rest of your day.